I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, legislation creating a ban on sanctuary cities has passed the Senate. It is headed to the governor for approval, but some say it isn't necessary. Then a look at how President Trump's proposed budget could stop the Meals on Wheels program and leave Mississippi seniors hungry. And later, it's Wildfire Prevention Month. Find out how to stay safe as the seasons change. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Sanctuary ban bill that prevents a Mississippi un- prevents un- Mississippi universities and state agencies from creating policies that protect undocumented immigrants has passed and is headed to Governor Phil Bryant for consideration. Senate Bill 2710 is sponsored by Senator Sean Tindell of Gulfport and supported by Lieutenant Governor Tate Reeves. It is designed to ensure cities, counties, colleges, and universities' po- uh, policies do not conflict with federal immigration laws or investigations. Democratic Senator Derek T. Simmons from Greenville tells MPB's Desiree Frazier the sanctuary ban bill is unnecessary. A bill that was just completely unnecessary is anti-immigration legislation that we don't need. Why do you feel that way? Because uh, from what I understand, all it does is allow law enforcement to do their job, ask questions, and uh, keeps them from being hamstrung by municipalities or universities. Well, law enforcement officers already can do their jobs, and uh, I don't think this bill will in any kind of way encourage or discourage law enforcement officers from doing their jobs. So what do you think the fallout, if any, from this will be, because right now, nationally, immigration is a very big issue. Yep, and, and that's what I think. I think that it's a partisan issue. Immigration has become a big issue even prior to the presidential elections. Uh, and certainly now that uh, we are under a Trump administration, we're going to see more anti-immigration policies. And a lot of the states are just jumping on the same bus that the federal government is driving regarding anti-immigration 
immigration policies. And I just think in the state of Mississippi, we don't have this as a problem, and it was just wasted proposal. So what do you think the message is because it did pass? Yep. Uh, the message is in Mississippi, uh, we just we are in line with the federal government, and we are anti-immigrant state. Some people might be offended by that. Certainly. I'm offended by it. I mean, the assessment that you're making because of the bill. Well, I mean, I've always opposed sanctuary cities. I just, again, think it's unnecessary. We don't need it here. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you. The bill's author, Republican Senator Sean Tindall of Gulfport, tells our Desiree Fraser the law will be simple and effective. Well, it basically does three things. One, it says that all cities, uh, agencies, and universities in our state uh, have to abide by federal immigration laws. Uh, and two, they can't institute policies that would have the effect of directing their law enforcement not to follow the federal law or even inquire about somebody's immigration status. Um, and so that's really it's a simple bill. It's only two things that it does. In terms of universities, there may be a concern there because you have students on campus that may be protected as a result of their DACA status or so forth. How do you, what does this mean for that? It doesn't really mean anything. It just, I mean, it means that uh, um, if they're here illegally, then that pro should probably be reported. Uh, it means that we can't ignore federal law, and it means that you can't direct law enforcement not to ask them or anybody official with the uh, university not to ask about somebody's current uh, immigration status. Um, and I would think anybody enrolling in a college in Mississippi um, would need to be a legal citizen of the United States or here uh, as an immigrant legally. Um, and so this just tries to ensure that policy is kept. So that means uh, if an administrator is called on and they know that there's a student at the university or college who is undocumented, then uh, they would have to report them? Or no. no, there's no reporting requirement. It just says that the university itself cannot institute a policy whereby a member of the faculty or the law enforcement can inquire about somebody's status. Um, and But there is no reporting requirement, um, and it just says that they can't institute a policy that's contrary to federal law, too. Why do this, Bill? Why is it important? Well, I think we've had, in, you know, you look at, uh, I think the city of Jackson instituted a policy whereby law enforcement wasn't allowed to inquire about somebody's uh, immigration status when they uh, were stopped. And, you know, I, I don't think politicians should be getting in the way of law enforcement doing their job. And so this bill just clarifies that we don't want any municipalities in this state getting in the way of law enforcement from doing their investigations. And so as a result, that means municipalities and colleges and universities, I just want to make sure I'm clear, cannot stop law enforcement from inquiring, basically. Yes, and there's no mandatory reporting or anything of that nature. But, I mean, if, if an officer wants to ask where you're from, then, you know, that's just part of their investigation. They shouldn't be stopped from doing that. Thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you. Senator Sean Tindall with our Desiree Frazier. The bill would go into effect immediately after it's signed. Coming up, a Mississippi food delivery service could be in jeopardy under the president's new budget plan. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. 
President Trump's initial budget proposal could cut funds that provide meals to senior citizens across the country. As proposed, it cuts hundreds of millions of dollars from the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Both agencies have programs that provide funding for the Meals on Wheels program, which utilizes drivers to deliver hot meals and a wellness check to older Americans' homes. The cuts would eliminate HUD's community development block grants and reduce health Health and Human Services budget by 16.2 percent. Mississippi's Meals on Wheels receives block grant funding. Cleveland Joseph is with Three Rivers Planning and Development, a Meals on Wheel provider. He tells MPB's Alexis Ware the program would not recover from a loss of federal funding. We uh, depend on federal funds, which is about 80 percent of the funds that receive for the Home Delivered Meals program. Uh, 15% probably come from local funds and 5% state. So how much is relied on the federal funding? If we lose the 80% funding from the federal uh, government, it would just about destroy our Meals on Wheels program. What is it that the funding is used for? Home-delivered meals, to purchase meals. So the branches in Mississippi rely not solely but almost exclusively on the federal funding? If we didn't have the 80%, we wouldn't be able to purchase the meal or get them delivered to the needy uh, seniors that depends on them daily. If we didn't uh, deliver the meals, sometimes that person that received the meal, we're the only person that they see. Uh, So we do a little socialization along with delivering the meal. So if you were to lose the federal funding, how would you propose that it would continue to function? We probably couldn't continue because uh, that 80 percent is the majority, 15 percent local. We could not make up the difference. What is the local funding? Where is that coming from? Uh, Local funding come from places like United Way, private donations, and local government, like the county boards of supervisors. Is there a push for more people to give to the foundation? Uh, Most of the people, when they donate, they donate to places like United Way. And some just come by and and do private donations. Sometimes the uh, recipient might even donate a little. But it wouldn't be nearly enough to make up the 80%. So, you know, it would just about put us out of business. Would the government funding affect food purchases or would it have an effect on administration, such as jobs? It would have an effect on the, the meal purchase and jobs. Because if we don't have the meals, then we would need the uh, individuals to deliver the meals. How is the funding distributed to the other branches of Meals on Wheels? Okay, the funds come directly here, and we have different locations where we have people that work to deliver the meals. We pay their uh, salaries and uh, mileage to deliver meals. We used to have a pretty good volunteer basis back when gas went up a few years ago. Most of all of our volunteers left us, so we had to go to start paying individuals to deliver. They are part-time employees. We have probably about uh, 30 employees in our eight-county area delivering meals, and it would just about eliminate all of those positions. What do you think would happen to these senior citizens if the program could not continue? They would go without that bill that they were receiving. I don't know how they would make it up if family would step in and start bringing meals to them. But uh, right now, I I would say that the majority of them 
would end up not eating a meal during lunch if they didn't get the meal. What would be the best case scenario? Best case scenario, if we continue to receive the funding that we receive, then we can maintain. But if we don't receive them, then we will not be able to maintain the program as is. And I don't see any new funding coming down because we have not received any increases in over 20 years. The funding source has been about the same. Did the hearing about the cut, did that come as a surprise to you? No, not really. Because when you start talking about balancing the budget, then you're going to more likely look at social programs to take a hit also. Cleveland Joseph is the division director of Area Agency on Aging with Mississippi Meals on Wheels. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thank you. A potential shutdown of Meals on Wheels would increase the need for other food bank organizations. Marilyn Blackledge is the Director of External Affairs at Mississippi Food Network. She tells MPB's Alexis Ware the Food Network would have to increase their services. Well, our role would remain the same as it has since 1984. We would be working to help distribute food to these agencies so they can provide for people in the community. That's what we do. What we will see is an increase in the need of people using our services. But we've seen this before with SNAP benefits being cut and, you know, the economy changing over the years. And we just, you know, we continue to work as hard as we do every day to raise money to buy food, um, to do food drives, to get food, to help distribute, and to just keep working to feed people. When we've seen other changes, you know, our role has not really changed. What we have seen is the increase in need, and we just continue to do what we do every day to to feed people. What does the Mississippi Food Network do for senior citizens? Well, we do a couple of things. You know, our agencies are food pantries, they're soup kitchens, they're shelters, they're human service organizations. So a lot of senior citizens might visit um a soup kitchen and eat lunch there, or they might visit a food pantry if they run out of money before the end of the month and get enough food to eat. Uh, We have a program that we work with that helps senior citizens apply for SNAP benefits. We also subcontract with the Mississippi Department of Human Services, and we pack the Commodity Supplemental Food Program boxes which is a government program um, for senior citizens over 60. So, you know, there's several things. We, we try to buy a lot of fresh produce to help get out to our senior citizens because that's something that sometimes on a very limited income they can't afford. And what are some of the organizations that you distribute food to? So we have um, Christian Services in Hattiesburg. We have Edwards Street in Hattiesburg. We have um, Stew Pot in the Jackson area, Gateway Rescue Mission in the Jackson area. We have Pine Lake Baptist Church in Starkville and in the Jackson and in the Clinton and in the Madison area. Interfaith up in Greenwood. We have Grenada Food Pantry in Grenada. We have agencies in the central part of the state, the 56 counties in the central part of the state. We have 430 of them. Marilyn Blackledge is the Director of External Affairs with Mississippi Food Network. Thank you so much for speaking with me. Thanks, Alexis. The Meals on Wheels program won't know its fate until the budget is finalized. Coming up, find out how to avoid wildfire as you clear off your yard this spring. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. 
Hi, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo, professor of medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center, and this is a Southern Remedy Health Minute. We've had a very bad flu season in Mississippi this year, especially in adults, and symptoms are ongoing in many folks, lasting for up to two or three weeks. The flu itself usually comes on abruptly with a fever, headache, muscle aches, and just feeling awful, and then hangs on for a long time with what seems to be a cold, sore throat, cough, and the like. This usually responds with chicken soup, my favorite, favorite, favorite remedy, which seems to work in controlled trials as well as just about anything else for the flu. What we're really concerned about are people who have a second illness about two weeks into the flu with high fever and cough with colored sputum. That means there's a likelihood of a bacterial pneumonia. So if you've had the flu and suddenly get worse a couple of weeks later and start coughing and having fever, it's time to get to the doctor immediately. Don't wait on this one. It's fixable if you get there early enough. For more health tips and medical information, listen for Southern Remedy each weekday at 11, where the doctors are always in. For MPB Think Radio, I'm Dr. Rick DeShazo. The Health Minute is underwritten by Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Information on how to make good health a family affair is available at bcbsms.com. Live healthy, live blue. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Thousands of acres of valuable timberland are damaged or lost, and the lives and property of citizens are endangered, all due to the destructive force of wildfire. The windy month of March has historically been one of the state's highest wildfire occurrence months. Governor Phil Bryant has declared this month to be Wildfire Prevention Month. Russell Bozeman is Assistant State Forester. He tells us how many fires have occurred in Mississippi just this year year. March is Wildfire Prevention Month, and the reason March is Wildfire Prevention Month is historically March has the highest number of wildfire occurrence rates. The weather transition from winter to spring is taking place, so the vegetation at the end of the winter is is as dead as it's going to get. So when we come through February and we start drying up, that dead vegetation dries really fast, uh, the grasses and, and shrubs and bushes. And then we have fronts starting to come through that are bringing us some precipitation at times, but not always. We have these dry, cold fronts, like the ones that came through this weekend. For a lot of the state, it was a fairly dry, cold front. And so that thing has wind with it. And so any fire or any flame or spark that makes it to that vegetation is going to spread rapidly. Just this year alone, since January 1st, the Mississippi Forestry Commission alone has responded to 633 wildfires that have burnt 12,800 acres. With that 12,000 acres, we've had 1,389 homes and structures that have been threatened by wildfire. And unfortunately, 37 of those homes and structures were damaged or destroyed. Russell, what's most likely to cause a a fire to go out of control? I mean, is it people in in campgrounds with their small fires, or is it a a controlled burn that that the wind picks up? 
Now, control burns are, are a very small contributor to the amount of wildfire we have. And the number one cause of wildfires in the state of Mississippi right now are debris burns. So um, a debris burn is um, like when a, when a homeowner or landowner is starting to cut grass or they go out to the yard and they pick up all their limbs and, and, and debris that's fallen and they pile it up and they set it on fire and then they walk away from it. That is our number one cause for wildfire in the state right now. And fire loves wind. You know, a lot of people will burn on a windy day because they think the fire will, it will be better for the fire to, to burn it up quicker. The problem with that is it also moves that fire quicker. It blows embers farther. And so a lot of times you can be creating fire away from where your original fire was set. Um, I've seen embers, uh, you know, go as far as a mile and a half oh, and then land and start a fire. Uh, the, the wildfire that, that burned through Gatlinburg, in that case, the winds were gusting up to 80, 90 miles an hour, and that fire was jumping from, from ridgetop to ridgetop, from mountaintop to mountaintop. It was, it was traveling that far. Mississippi is a pretty rural state. Do you know the percentage of land that is forest land in Mississippi? In Mississippi, we have 19.8 million acres of forest land. The large portion of our property is forested. Now, of that 19.8 million acres, about 70% of that is owned by non-industrial private forest landowners. So that's the, you know, the mom-and-pop forest landowners. And so with such a large portion of our resource being managed by family forest landowners, the, the agency has programs to help those forest landowners uh, manage their property, uh, whether it be through cost assistance, to replant or do prescribed fire or just technical assistance. Uh, you know, we can go out to anybody's property and, and give advice for free. When a burn ban is put in place because of dry conditions or, or other factors, does that affect private landowners? Absolutely. It, a burn ban affects a, it not just private landowners. It affects the, the entire uh, population in that area, both uh, commercial and private. So when a burn ban comes on in a county, it can have exemptions in it. Uh, for example, um, the Mississippi Forestry Commission, certified prescribed burn managers, construction companies, construction burns. So people, people that have certified people to, to manage fire sometimes can be exempted from a county burn ban. But most people that are just private landowners or, or homeowners uh, in that county are usually not allowed to burn. So if a company does that or a private landowner wants to burn off brush or right. someone wants to have a bonfire for a, you know, a party kind of thing, do all of those different types of fires require a permit? Is someone free to burn as they please? No, ma'am. So in Mississippi, what we call agricultural or civil cultural burns, that means you're going to put fire into an ag field or fire into a forest. Um, all of those burns are permitted by the Mississippi Forestry Commission. Technically, in Mississippi, with you know private landowner rights, you don't have to have a permit to do the burn. However, if you're going to do a burn and get a permit, it actually gives you some liability protection. Now, we recommend everybody that's going to do a burn get a burn permit. So if someone comes by and sees a bunch of fire and smoke and they call 911, well, then when, when 911 contacts us, we'll know whether or not that location is a permitted prescribed burn or an actual wildfire and whether or not we need to send resources there. So 911 always contacts you first? It depends on the call. It depends on the 911 center. We also have a dispatch center. 
so people can actually call our dispatch centers uh, to report wildfires as well. What's that number? They're by location. You can visit our website at uh, www.msc, for Mississippi Forestry Commission, .ms, for Mississippi, .gov. And you can find all kinds of information about burning and absolutely. You can and... you can find whether or not your county's under a burn ban. You can uh, find we actually post uh, the fire weather information, and um, you can follow us on social media. Uh, we have uh, Facebook accounts, Twitter accounts, YouTube channels to educate people on the dangers of wildfire and how to be safe with wildfire. Russell so, Bozeman is the assistant state forester, and Russell, we thank you so much for good information in this wildfire prevention month. Thank you very much, Karen. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for local Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Fix It 101. Then at 10, Everyday Tech. And at 11 o'clock, stay tuned for Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online at mpbonline.org or by downloading the MPB Public Media app in any mobile store. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio. Robin Young. MSNBC's Chris Hayes says there are two justice systems, one for the largely white nation, the other for the colony of minorities within. What you end up when you call for law and order is a system that seeks to preserve a certain kind of social order. And that kind of social order is almost always determined by the people that have the power. Next time, here and now. Today at noon on MPB Think Radio. Your home for the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. It's Marketplace Tax for Wednesday.